Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Hebrews 4. It's living and it's active, Father. And I just pray, Hebrews 4, 2, we mix it with faith this morning. And as we do, Romans 1, 16, the power of God is released. And Father, we just thank you that you are speaking into our hearts. John 8, freedom. Freedom, Lord. You said whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You said we would know your word and we would be set free. Thank you. Your word goes forth this morning in power. And it sets us free. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. And if you agree, would you just say amen? Amen. Simply titled the message this morning, Hope. Hope. Christmas is a time when people have, you know, things going on. And it can be a great time of cheer. And it can be a great time of of celebration. But but Christmas can also be a time of of sadness and a time of, of depression. And a lot of people look forward to the holidays, but a lot of people don't look forward to the holidays. So I want to talk to you this morning about hope. I think you'll see, Jerry, we have a title slide. I want to pull up our title, just simply titled Hope. Look your neighbor and tell him, so you have hope. You have hope. And I, I want to approach this from a little different standpoint. I want to show you a scripture later in a few minutes that maybe you've not seen in the light of Christmas, but I think it'll really help us. How many of you love to receive a gift? How many of you love to receive a gift? Man, I love when I give gifts. I don't love it when I get gifts that take more expense, like like here's a toy for your kids, but it takes 32 batteries, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not every gift carries the same weight, but sometimes we receive a gift and it's it's nice and it, it encourages us, but sometimes we receive a gift and it really brings hope. How many of you have ever received a gift that really brought hope? I'll never forget 2000, well I guess I forgot, 2000 whatever, let's see, when did my wife and I get engaged? 2003. There we go. See, I did forget. It's been a long time ago. I'll never forget this great gift that I gave my future wife, and it was an engagement ring right around Christmas time, actually on December 23rd. So next Sunday will be our whatever, however many numbers she can tell you, anniversary being engaged. And you can tell how important the gift is because I remember all the stats, right? But I gave her this gift, Susan, and it really brought hope and it brought joy and it brought hope of a great future and hope. So certain gifts that we give bring hope. And I thought about Meshach telling us about the Operation Christmas Child. Uh, his village has received Operation Christmas Child packages. How many of you have ever sent out an Operation Christmas Child box, the shoe box, stuff with things? When that child opens that box, it's not just a gift of toys and toothpaste and squishies and candy. It's a box that brings hope. It's a box that says somebody in somewhere in some nation cares about me enough and it inspires hope. Well, I just want to drop by this morning to tell you that the gift we received in Jesus is a gift of hope. It is a gift of light. It is a gift of hope. Now, let me just tell you how I wound up at this message. I've been asking the Lord what to share and what to bring to you. And and frankly, I had a pretty rough start to my week. Uh, Monday, I was on duty, uh, call duty with the sheriff's office. I'm a chaplain. I serve with Pastor Michael and we're chaplains. And I had a a pretty rough call right out of the gate. I hadn't even made it to the chaplain office Monday morning. It was before 8 a.m. I was on my way to pick up the radio and get the car and everything that goes into that. And the phone rang and, and, and technically it maybe should have been the 
guy before me because it was a little bit early, but I guess they thought it was close enough, so they called me. And so I showed up at this house, and I want to be I want to be direct, but I don't want to you know paint too too grim of a picture. But it really helps us where we're going today. Uh, to to surmise the story, I uh, showed up to a scene where a 35 year old man had taken his own life. His wife had worked night shift. And she came home, pulled in the driveway, saw her husband laying in the driveway. She thought he was passed out, maybe drunk, maybe intoxicated. Then she saw the, the blood and realized that this was not, you know, uh, something normal. This was abnormal. So I show up. Not only that, but there's a six-year-old daughter in the house. And so I am in this situation where the, the wife comes home from work, finds a husband who's taken his own life, 35 years old. They'd had a major fight that evening. Um, major, major fight, and, and you know what goes into that, and how that goes, and right at Christmas time, and you know the pressures of money at Christmas time, because everybody does all the big Christmas stuff, and, and any little crack in your armor, any little crack in your foundation is exposed when you're under stress, when you're under pressure. And so I'm there, and I'm trying to offer some kind of help, some kind of comfort, and, and I'm telling you this, and I'm, this is not in a judging way or in a belittling way toward this family, because we've been praying for that family. But there, I, w- I was the only light in the building. There was not a light of hope in that situation. And it really gripped my heart. And I text Pastor Michael. I said, it's that really hard call. because and, and, and even that night, I sat down with my family and shared this with my kids. What I'm sharing with your kids today, we talked about with my kids. So I'm not talking to your kids about anything we didn't talk about. And I showed them the difference between the light and the hope of Christ and a world that is without hope and a world that is utterly hopeless. And that's where this message is going to help us today. Not only that, but that evening, that night at 3.45 a.m., my phone rang again. And I had to go to another situation where a lady had just died in, in seemingly in her sleep. The husband looked over and she wasn't in bed. Middle aged, just 40s, 50s, not very old at all. <laughs> the husband looked over and thought the woman was going to the bathroom. He laid there about 20 more minutes. She never came back. He got up, found her at the foot of the bed. Still don't know the cause of death. It was something natural, some kind of maybe stroke or aneurysm or something. But I'm standing there in the kitchen at 4 a.m. in the morning with this man who is obviously not a believer. Again, not judging, not putting condemnation, but, but I'm just telling you the way it is. He's so sick that he's... He's vomiting. He can't get himself together. He can't compose himself. He keeps saying, would you bring her back with all the technology you have? Can you, is there not some kind of machine you can put her on? And Can you bring her back? And I'm standing there going, this man has no hope. And I was here about an hour, and I got to share with him. I connected him with the local church close to him, connected him with their grief support system. And again, I shared this story with my family. And I'm not putting this on you today as a heavy But I'm putting this on you today to tell you this. There is something to the gospel. There is something in being connected with Jesus. Jesus is light. In Him there is no darkness. We have a hope that the world does not understand. Apart from Christ, you have no hope. And I'm sharing this today because so many times in this season we find ourselves in a hopeless situation. Maybe we feel like we have no hope, but in Jesus we have hope. I can't contrast enough light versus darkness. Walking with God, surrendering to Jesus versus walking in this life on your own. Then follow that up this week. It's been a rough week, TC. Read a story on CBN News where a nine-year-old girl took her own life. Nine-year-old girl. And I said, oh God, we've got to do something. Oh God, we've got to do something. We can no longer sit by as the church and just watch as people fall off in hopelessness. 
We have the answer. We have the hope. We have the light. And it is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's look at our scripture this morning. And again, please forgive me. I'm not trying to put a heavy on you. But it's a real problem. Hopelessness. John chapter 10. I want us to read this. You'll see it on the screen. I want to read from the Amplified Version. This is so powerful this time of year. You may be sitting here today. Let me, let me go ahead and put this out there. You may be sitting there going, well, I don't deal with any of that stuff. I don't deal with those thoughts. or I don't." So the healthy can help those who are hurting. So we have folks in the room who need this. You need this anchor of hope. We're going to deal with some things today head on, and you need this. God is speaking to you. But there are those of us in the room maybe who are healthy right now in our mind, healthy in our spirit. You must take this, and we must move this into action. We can no longer just sit by and watch a world without hope and a world who is in a depressed state. John chapter 10, let's read it together. I'll read it out loud. Here we go. I am the door. This is Jesus speaking. I am the door. (coughs) See, people in this world try to go through many doors. They try alcohol to go through a door. So many people have so much pain in life that they self-medicate with alcohol just to ease the pain. So many people try to go through other doors of wealth and other doors of business and other doors of family. Jesus says, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. And the Amplified goes on to say, we'll live forever. Part of the hope that we have in Jesus is that we will live forever in eternity with our Father. So he says, I am the door. They will go in and out freely. Somebody say freedom. You see, Jesus doesn't want you living a life bound by depression and bound by guilt and bound by a sense of hopelessness. Jesus wants you to go in and out and freely and have spiritual security. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. Verse 10, I'm sorry, go back one. Thank you. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came. I came as a babe in the manger. I've quoted the scripture a thousand times. Never connected it with Christmas. We think of Jesus as the man. He came. Yes, that's true. But Vince, he came as the baby in the manger, born of a virgin. He came Sent from God, He came that we might have and enjoy life. That little baby had a mission. That little baby at Christmas time, the whole reason we celebrate Christmas, the whole reason we do everything around this time to remember our Lord, He came. He came. Say this with me, that they may, ready? Let's read it together. That they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full until it overflows. My heart was so gripped by these families. Because when I show up as the chaplain, it's too late. Nothing really I can do or say or I can be there. I can pray, but the damage is done. My goal is how can we, number one, alleviate hopelessness within our family, within our congregation, and how can we take that and pass it and give it to the community? How can we become healthy and whole so we can help others be healthy and whole? Jesus, he outlines two clear paths here. There's a path of, of stealing and killing and destruction. Listen, I've, I've stood at the graveside before of a young woman in her 20s who overdosed, who was in my family. I've stood at the graveside before of a family member who committed suicide and took their own life. I've stood there. I've stood in the house where there was no hope and there was no light. And then I've stood at a funeral of our founding pastor, Pastor Burrell Cavan, who we know when he died, stepped into heaven and was with the Lord and had a great walk with God. And, and even though we were sad, we had such hope and joy. 
Jesus said, my way, my plan. I, I set my kids down, Mary, and, and we talked about this. I said, this is why we go to church. This is why we have prayer time. This is why we pray. This is why I'm asking you if you're reading your Bible. This is why I'm pushing you every way I know to have a deep, real relationship with our Heavenly Father. This is why we don't just play church. This is why we don't act one way at church and one way at home. You think we pray here? We have way better prayer times at church. You asked my son Noah the other day, he said, we were talking about praying. He said, yeah, Dad. He said, sometimes we'll pray and we'll look up and be an hour going by. We won't even notice. That came from my son. The reason we do that, the reason we're so strict, Mom and Dad, the reason we watch what happens on the iPad, the reason we watch screen time, oh, it's quiet in this place. The reason we watch what monitor and monitor the music my kids listen to is because I want to point them to life an abundant life. There is a way that seems right to man and the end thereof is death. This thing with Jesus is real. This thing with serving God is real. And it's not a do's and don'ts and what you watch and listen to. I'm not putting legalism on you, but I'm saying I want to be as close to God as I possibly can. I want to live in the light. I don't want any darkness in my life. I don't want any darkness in my children's life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is real clear. I call this the dividing line. If it steals, kills, and destroys, it's not of God. If it gives life and abundant life to the full till it overflows, then it's of God. I need to believe and I need to receive it. Amen. Say amen so I can take a breath. Amen. Now look at verse 11. <clears throat> he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his own sheep. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S., out of all the ways people die, they, people come to the point where they, the only answer is to take their life. In 2017, the stats that they know, according to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, 47,173 Americans, over 47,000 Americans died from suicide. Now get this, there was over 1 million attempts, registered suicide attempts. Over 1 million Average of 129 suicides a day. The highest rate is between adults of 45 and 54 years old, but it's growing rapidly among our teenagers. A shocking stat that I saw in a, in a publication from USA Today. Suicide among our teenagers, uh, adolescents, ages 10 to 17. 10 to 17 is up 77% since 2006. We've got a problem. The church, what we're doing is not working. And if you're in this house and you've struggled with that, we're not condemning you at all. We're extending a helping hand. And this is a real, legitimate problem. And the church needs to wake up and we need to recognize it. And we need to offer hope. This is not in any way to condemn anybody in the room. This is to say we have hope in the Lord Jesus. The church for too long has just swept it under the rug and we've acted like it's not happening. And social media has exacerbated the problem. That nine-year-old girl that we read about in CBN who committed suicide was because of bullying at school. It's legit, people. This is real. And it's only going to get worse. But we're not just cursing the darkness. We're going to light a candle. Amen? We're going to light a candle. We have hope. Let me read you this quote from a magazine I subscribe to, Answers in Genesis. It says, Sadly, because of suffering, people still choose death every day, thinking their lives have no value. This is, this is the mindset when this happens to you. There's no single cause. At the root of many cases is an inability to handle suffering or stress. 
or, or physical pain, to handle a disability, to handle mental anguish, loneliness, failure, social abuse, and other factors. Hoping to get rid of relief from their burdens, thousands of people make the tragic decision to terminate their life. And so I want to let you know that we have hope in Jesus. Now, I don't just say, have hope, have hope. I believe the Lord gave me something. I was asking the Lord, Pastor Michael, I was praying about this. What is the answer? What is the answer? How can I tell people? What can I share? And I believe the Lord took the word hope and he broke it down for me in a real clear way. Pull up the screen, Jared, that shows my hope acronym there, my acrostic. We're going to give you four foundations to have and give. Friends, I hear a lot of people say, have hope, have hope. But very few people are talking about how we can give hope. We're not just going to, I just want to have hope. We want to have hope so we can give it away. Amen. Look at this. It was so powerful. We're only going to talk about two today, so don't panic. <laughs> and they're very happy about that, apparently. Have purpose in your life. We're going to break these down. Open up to others. Place Christ first. There is something to be said about a commitment to following the Lord. And then you've got to remember, everyone else has troubles and issues too. You're not the only person going through struggles and trials. Satan would like to tell you that. But I'm going to show you four men in the Bible next week who actually prayed to die. Great men of God said, Lord, just kill me. We're not the only ones that struggle with this. Everybody else has problems as well. So this is two sides of one coin. This is the coin for those in the room who need help, who need hope. And this is the side of the coin for those of you who are healthy right now and in a way where you can help others become healthy in Christ. Can I have an amen if you're out there? Number one, have purpose in life. <clears throat> the biggest lie that Satan can tell you and depress you with is that your life has no purpose. The biggest lie I hear it time and time again when I show up on the scene of a person who's committed suicide, taking their life, I hear the family say, they told me I would, they would be better off dead. They told me that my life would be better if they weren't here. Satan lies to you and tells you that you have no purpose, that you have no value, that you have no hope. That is a lie. Look at your neighbor and say, that is a lie. Look at your other neighbor and say, you have purpose. And so we, 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 have this lie from the enemy that you have no purpose, it, that your life doesn't matter, that your life doesn't count. Let me, let me just give you a warning. That is straight from the pit of hell. There may be a weakness in your mind. There may be some kind of chemical imbalance here and all that. I'm not demeaning research and that sort of thing. But I'm telling you, Satan comes along and he is the one who still kills and destroys. And he is the one that tells you you're better off dead, better off not alive. You have no hope. God is not telling you that you don't have hope. It is a lie straight from the pits of hell. Look at this screen about a major difference in Christianity. Do you know why I'm a Christian? You know, instead of other religions, the major difference in Christianity is hope and purpose. Say that with me. Hope and purpose. You were created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27. You were created in God's very image. You are the very object of God's love. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. How many of you are in the world? Let me see your hand. How many of you live in the world? How many of all the aliens didn't raise their hand today? How many of you are living, breathing in the world? You're the object of God's love. Say this when you say, I am the object of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave. You are the actual very purpose that God sent his son. Look at 1 John 4, 9. 
You are the very purpose. T.C. and Sam are the very reason Jesus came as that babe in a manger. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. Let me just encourage you that if you're feeling like your life doesn't have any purpose, learn to identify your gifts. Everybody in the room, you have some kind of gift that you have. You have a gift that God wants to use you in. You must learn to to flow in your God-given gifts. I, I put this in my notes. You have little God seeds on the inside of you waiting to grow and waiting to be watered and waiting to sprout. You have something that you're good at, something that you can do. You have a purpose that God created you for. Look at this PowerPoint for life. This PowerPoint for life simply says this. We are at our best when we're doing what we're best at. I am at my best when I'm flowing in the gifts that God gave me and created me. When I'm up here telling great jokes, man, I'm flowing in what God has called me to do. And I'm at my best, amen? Crystal likes that. We are at our best when we're doing what we're best at. So learn to flow in your gifts. Look at the screen before that. Listen to your passions. Learn to flow in your God gifts. Every one of you in the room have some kind of bent, some kind of natural tendency. You walk in the room and you, you don't meet a stranger. Or you can cook and do hospitality. Or, or you can clean and you love things to be clean. That's a God-given gift. Please come express your gift at my house. Amen? <laughs> we could use some of your giftings. When you have as many kids as I have, you'll clean the whole room and then go to the bathroom and come back. And it's like, what just happened? It's like a bomb just went off in here. <laughs> like we had folks over last night. Our staff came over to our house for a dinner. And we were literally like, once we got the house clean, like locking the kids in the room. <laughs> it's like, don't come out, hey amen. Don't report me there. I'm teasing. It was a nice room, okay? You know, we were checking on them. <laughs> Let your passions direct your purpose. Listen to this. Say that with me. Ready? Number two. Let your passions direct your purpose. What, what are you passionate about? Man, I talk to some people and they get so, you mention one word about something and they like, it's like, where did you just come from? Where did that come from? They get so passionate. God gave you that passion. Take, take that passion and use it for the kingdom of God. Find a, a ministry to get involved in. We have a lot of areas here in the local church to serve in, but if there's not a place for you or not something you want to do, if, if being an usher, greeter is not your thing, if the worship team's not your thing, if kids' ministry is not your thing, if being on the prayer team, counseling team's not your thing, being on the hospitality, you need to get involved. But there's something you can do. There are dozens of parachurch ministries that minister to the homeless, they minister to the foster parents, they minister to the foster children. They minister to those who have grief. They, there's all kinds of ways. You can find a way to serve and make a difference. Can I, can I give you something I think is from the Lord? If you're in this house today and you're listening online, if you are struggling with hope, get out and serve. Do something for somebody else. Use your gifts to be a blessing. Look at this PowerPoint for life. Learn to This is fresh. Never heard this before. This is straight from heaven. Learn to live for the sake of others, and your troubles will look smaller and smaller. That was worth coming for. Because when you're in a pity party, and it's just, whoa, me, and who are you thinking about? Me. You're just thinking about me. So when you get your mind off yourself and put your mind on others, God can do something amazing in your heart. If you don't believe me, try it. 
I encourage everybody in the room who's having these issues of hopelessness, having these issues of do I belong, find somewhere and serve for 30 days. Give yourself to it. Come back in 30 days and talk to me. You're going to be a different person. Because you do have purpose. You do have a gift. Look at this next phrase I put here. Jesus inspires and infuses divine purpose. I was standing in those homes where there was no light. It was dark. There was no hope. And then I was so reminded of how an encounter with Jesus infuses destiny. It infuses divine purpose. Just an ordinary day on the Sea of Galilee. A couple of men are fishing, doing the same old thing, in the same old way, at the same time of the day, with the same group of people. They're living in the ordinary. These men are living in the mundane. They're fishermen. It's what they do. It's nasty. It's smelly. It's underappreciated. And their entire livelihood is based on things that they can't control. Are we going to get enough catch today? Is there storms? And so they're doing the same thing over and over again. And Jesus bumps into them. They have an encounter with the Lord Jesus. And He infuses divine purpose. Look at Matthew 4.18. Let's pick up in this story. Matthew (coughs) 4.18. One day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of (coughs) Galilee. (coughs) Excuse me. And he saw two brothers, Simon and Peter. Simon called Peter and Andrew, throwing the net into the water. Same old thing, same old day, same mundane, same ordinary. For they were fishing for a living. Look at verse 19. Jesus called out and said, come and follow me. When you have an encounter with Jesus, he infuses purpose. Come and follow me and I will give you purpose. Come and follow me and I will give you meaning. Come and follow me and I will give your life value. Come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. I'll make you a fisher of men. Verse 20, they left their nets. They left the ordinary. They left the mundane. And at once they followed him. Let's be so healthy that our relationship with God is a witness to those around us that life is worth living. Let's let our light shine so bright that my relationship with my Heavenly Father is a witness to you that life is is worth living. Jesus said, follow me and I will give you a higher purpose and a higher destiny. So number one, have purpose in your life. Find something that you can do. Find a way to serve. Find a way to invest in people. And then you will, you will, you, your heart will be tremendously opened to what God wants to do. Number two, the second one today and the last one. Very excited about this one. Open up to others about your trials. Open up to others about your trials. The thing that Satan likes to do, listen to me very closely if you can, is when we're struggling with these thoughts of valuelessness and we're struggling with these thoughts of hopelessness, Satan wants you to keep very quiet about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. He wants you to keep very quiet about it, and he doesn't want you to tell anyone. But say it together. Ready? Open up to others about your trials. The the Lord began to show me some things that I've never seen before in this. And it's going to really help you. Look at this next screen. Satan cannot hide in the light. We are called to bring things into the light. Satan can only be effective in darkness and in isolation. Let's read it again all together. I want you to get this, okay? Let's say it together. Ready? Satan cannot hide in light. 
We are called to bring things into light. Satan can only be effective in darkness and in isolation. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Let me show you this from the scriptures. We have to learn and be brave enough and open up to share and take the step to share that we're having problems, to share that we're struggling, to share that we have trials. And then we're going to talk about what do we do with that information when it's given to us. Almost all of these situations, they, the family had, the, the medical investigator said, has the family, has this person ever given you any indication that they were going to harm themselves? Every time I've been standing there, every time I've heard the answer, yes, but we didn't think they were serious. They were reaching out for help, but help wasn't there. And I'm not demeaning the family. They did, they did what they knew to do. But every single time, yes. But we didn't think it'd ever get this bad, or yes, we didn't think that it would ever happen to, to us. And can't tell you how many times I've heard that, Susan. Look at 5.12. It is uh, shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. Somebody say in secret. I don't want to focus on the ungodly or the things that they do. What I want to focus on is in secret. Say it again, in secret. Now notice this passage. This is so liberating and so freeing. Verse 13. <coughs> Their evil intentions will be exposed. Leave this verse up. Their evil intentions will be exposed when light shines on them. Let me help you today. Let me give you some freedom. Let me tell you why we're preaching this message at Christmas. Because evil intentions, not necessarily of men, but I'm calling this of the enemy, of Satan to kill, steal, and destroy, to take your life, to, to rob you of hope. Evil intentions are exposed when light shines on them. Say that with me. Ready? Say it out loud. Evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. How do you expose light to things? You have to open up. You have to open up and share. Let light be exposed. Verse 14 says, For the light makes everything visible. Satan wants to get you in darkness, wants to get you in isolation, wants to get you by yourself. It says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Satan cannot hide in the light. You've got to be willing to share what you're going through with those who can help you and love you. Let me say it again. Do not blast all of your problems on Facebook. Seriously, all you're going to get is pity. And pity doesn't help anybody. Don't share your problems with anybody that can't help you. Share your problems with people that can help you and that love you and care about you. Look around this room. Everybody look around this room. There's a bunch of people in this room that love you and care about you and want to help you. Share your problems with somebody who can help you. Don't blast them all out on Facebook. I made all the Facebook users mad. Amen. Can I just say this? I'm just feeling ornery today. Can I say it? I'm going to anyway. Husbands and wives, please, please hear me. Husbands and wives, for the love of all that is good and holy. Husbands and wife, if you're having a spout, don't advertise it on Facebook. It's not healthy. Husbands, never criticize your wife publicly on Facebook. Never, never. Shame on you if you have. Wives, never throw your husband under the bus for the world to see on Facebook. It's not healthy. It's not good. And it's not godly. Amen. I love you, but I'm trying to help you. Please, keep your fights between each other. Call the staff. Let's do counseling. But don't put bad negative stuff on it. Because even though you may delete that post, it is already out there and people have already seen it. And whatever Christian witness you think you had is gone. Not only that, but it's harmful to the relationship. So just don't do it. If you've done it, but if you've done it in the past, ask for forgiveness and don't do it again. Amen. Can't talk, can't live about your past, but we can, we can move forward. Amen? Hope that's good. That was free. That wasn't even in the notes. So, Well, I don't like that. You need to talk to Jesus about it.
Look at Exodus 18. I'm going to show you something you've probably never seen before. I was asking the Lord to help me process this, help me understand this more about opening up to others. And I saw a scripture I'd never seen before. Let's read this together. Exodus chapter 18. <coughs> Jethro. How many, of you are, how many of you are glad you're not named Jethro? <laughs> yes, my little friend here is very glad. Jethro, notice this here, Moses' father-in-law now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. So Moses is married, father-in-law is coming to visit. Look at verse 7. So Moses went out to meet him. Hey, you know that that's a good thing to do with your father-in-law. Moses went out and he bowed and kissed him. Come here, George. Give me a big old kiss. Hallelujah. Amen. That's my father-in-law back there. <laughs> hey, you know, he's not claiming this scripture every day, you know. So he went out and he met his father-in-law and he bowed low and he kissed him. And they asked about, notice this here. Ready? Mary, I've never seen this before. I believe the Holy Spirit took me to this verse strategically. I was sitting in my chair writing this. And, and I was asking the Lord, help me with this more. And he said, look at Moses and Jethro. I said, what is that? I had no idea. This is perfect for what we're talking about. So Moses and Jethro are now having this meeting, you know, after the kissing and stuff is over, <laughs> the hugging and all that. Notice they asked about each other's welfare. And then they went into Moses' tent. So it needed a little bit more attention. This wasn't just, oh, hey, how are you? So good to see you. Oh, good, buh, buh. No, this was, how's your welfare? How are you really doing? Oh, I'm good. No, you're not. I can tell. Everybody on Facebook knows you're not. Because you told everybody on Facebook. Oh, I'm good. No, you're not. Are you really? And then you're like, oh, don't judge me. Right? I played the Christian game before. I've not been all right and told you I'm good. And inside I'm like, I'm dying, please. Can we be honest? How are you? How's your week been? Oh, it's been a good week. 14 people in your family died. It's not been a good week. Now, please, like right before I'm getting ready to preach, like that's not the time for me to like have a three-hour counseling session, you know. So a lot of times I may not even ask you how you're really doing because at that time I can't really address it. Like, right before I'm preaching, I don't really want to know because I'm about to preach, you know. Let's talk and set an appointment after church. We can take time. Here's what I want you to see. Moses, uh, go back, I'm sorry if you can, to verse 7. So they ask about each other's welfare, and then they realize we need to discuss this a little bit more, and they went into the tent. Let's look at verse 8. So Moses began to tell his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on their behalf. So he's celebrating. He's telling him, look at all this. This is good stuff. God's doing good. And he also told them about the hardships. Church people aren't good at this. Can we be real? We're really good at talking about the wins. And I understand faith and confession and being positive. I will always be positive. I'll always choose joy. I will always speak faith. But there is a time where we need to celebrate the wins, but we need to also talk about the hardships. And he said everything they'd experienced along the way, and how the Lord had rescued him and all their people from the troubles. So look at verse 13. The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other, and they waited before him from morning until evening. Verse 14. Moses, his father-in-law, saw that Moses what was doing, all he was doing for the people. And he said, what are you really accomplishing here? So Moses was the only person 
that had any access to God in this situation, who would be sort of a judge, kind of a dispute. We had the high priest, but Moses would go, and he would really be a, a mediator between all the problems. So Moses, Pastor Moses, all day would sit and listen to millions of people bring their problems to Pastor Moses. I mean, that's a lot of counseling. And so Jethro says, what are you really trying to accomplish here? What are you doing? And notice this here. He asked the tough question. Moses had been doing this for, you know, well, I'm, the people need me. I'm important. The, you know, the people need to tell me what's going on in there. I need to give them the answer from God. What are you really doing here? Jethro loved Moses enough to ask the tough question, to ask the hard question. Notice this here. This job is too heavy for you in verse 18. Uh, it's a burden for you to handle. Now listen to me in verse 19. I'll give you a word of advice. Now you know how he divides up into different sections and gets other people to help him. We won't go into all that. What I want you to see is Jethro and Moses had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation about how things were going well and how things were going bad. He had a voice to speak into his life. He actually cared about him and his well-being. And then he gave him advice and Moses took the advice. So he opened up to others. So let me just give you this to those who in the room are in a healthy place right now. Let me help you how we can process this before we close today. Is this good? Is this helping anybody? Next screen, Jared. Let's look at this right here. We're just going to go through these real quick. Number one, be alert to those who are around you. We get so caught up in ourself and what we're doing that we don't notice that maybe James and LaDonna are having a hard time. And we don't notice that maybe Joyce is not as smiley today. We don't notice it because we're just so busy. We've got to notice. We've got to look and care. We have to be alert to our family and our friends. Church, school, work. The next one is take them serious. When someone opens up to you, take it serious. Take it as a, a serious matter that the Holy Spirit is having them open up to you because He has an assignment for you to help heal that hurt. The Holy Spirit will give you the root of the situation. The Holy Spirit will lead you in how to, how to process that and walk through the, them with that. Number three, this is huge. Listen without judgment. Well, if you were more spiritual, you wouldn't be feeling like this. And that's why people don't open up. Because of idiots who have said stuff like that throughout the decades. Well, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't be feeling this way. You just need to pray more. You just need to shut up. I need to talk. I need to open up. I need help. And so because of fear of rejection, because of fear. How many of you know I love, I love Planet Fitness? Because, and I'm not endorsing them as a company, but man, it is the judgment-free zone, man. I can go in there and I can lift my little puny weights and nobody's going to say anything about it. <laughs> How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? It's a judgment-free zone. And man, I went with a guy one time and he accidentally dropped a thing and these lights started going off. woo they don't even want you to drop weights. And, you know, if you come in with no shirt on, like, put your shirt on there, young man. And so I love it. I can lift my tiny little dumbbell and nobody cares. Nobody's going to judge me. I'm in the judgment-free zone. When people walk in that door and in our own homes and in our family, we, we, we need to know this is the judgment-free zone. Not going to tolerate sin. We're not going to just pass and wink at sin. And, and we're, we're going to help you and challenge you. We're going to ask you tough questions. But at the end of the day, we're going to give you a chance. We're not going to cast. What is prejudice? Prejudge. We think of prejudice as black and white and Hispanic and whatever and all this. Prejudice is prejudging someone when you don't have enough data to make a judgment. It's prejudging someone. God says, I'm prejudging everybody by the book. Everybody walks in the door, gets the chance to be a 10. 
It's up to them if they stay there. Amen? But everybody gets a chance to be a 10. So let's listen without criticism or judgment. Last one, then we're going to let you go. This is huge. This is where the church has failed, in my opinion. This is where in my own life I can see I have not followed through on this as maybe the Lord would really intend for me to do. If you're walking down the street and it's cold outside and you're singing that little song, Baby, it's cold outside and it's snowing and, and the people behind you are mad at you because you're singing a song that you're not supposed to sing anymore. That's at least what Facebook says. How I many know I really love Facebook, man? And you see this old man just shivering on the cold. He's so cold, you can tell. He can barely just... He doesn't have a lot of warm clothing on. He's so cold. And you look at that man, and, and, and you begin to sympathize with him. Oh, I feel so bad that he's been cold. And you're walking. you got an appointment. And then you know what? One time I was really cold. So now you empathize with him because I've been cold. I know how you feel. And now you have real pity. You, you begin to really oh, I pity that old man. Because he's so cold as you open the door and go into your warm building and go on to your appointment. And you had all the emotions that God gave us. Sympathy, empathy, pity. But there's one thing you didn't have. You didn't have compassion. Because compassion does something about it. Compassion walks in the door, gets a coat off the rack... I'll figure out whose coat it is later and pay for it later. <laughs> Compassion steals the coat that's on the rack. <laughs> Not really, but Compassion goes into the store and buys a blanket. Is that better? Is that a little more holy for everybody? And Compassion walks out and hands the man a blanket. And Compassion takes action. The church has been real sympathetic for folks dealing with hopelessness. The church has been even empathetic. I've had family members of this. The church has had pity. Pity doesn't do anybody any good. The church has not done well at having compassion. Compassion is not compassion unless it has action. Compassion is not compassion unless it has action. The people around us, they don't just need our sympathy. They need our action. They need our help. They need our compassion. So be alert to those around. Take them serious. Listen without criticism and judgment. Move to a place of compassion. And if you're in this place today and you struggle with this, open up. Open up, amen. So I have something specific that I want to do this morning. And I really talked to the Lord about it. And again, this is in no way at all to make anybody feel uncomfortable or embarrassed. But I think we have a challenge this morning to bring to light. If you're in this room and you would, you would talk to someone and you would love on someone and you would share and have compassion, if someone felt hopeless and you would be there for them and you would love them and support them, just raise your hand. Let me see your hand all over the room. Yeah, look at, look at all these people. We've also got some friends in this house today. And maybe some of you came down for prayer earlier, and that's okay. We want you to respond again. But you've dealt with hopelessness. Satan has said you have no value. Satan has said you'd, the world would be better off without you. And it's okay. We're, we have a lot of us to struggle with that. Here's what I, I want to do, and I want you to be brave this morning. You're going to come up here and stand, hopefully, and all these people out here, we're going to gather around you, and we're just going to love on you. We're just going to pray over you, because what are we doing? We're exposing the darkness. We're exposing the lie of the enemy. You have value, and you have purpose. You were created in the image of God, and don't you ever let anybody tell you any different.
And we're going to say, Satan, we're exposing your lie in the light with no judgment, no criticism. We just want to love on you. Be brave. Take a step. And it's been 10 years ago, maybe. It doesn't have to be this week. But at some point in your life, you felt hopeless that you wanted to give up. Come down. Be brave. Come on. And then when we do, we're all going to stand. Come on down. Come on down. If you want to come with somebody, bring them with you. Come on, David. Yeah, amen. You're so brave. Come on, Jess. Come on, sweetie. Y'all are so brave. Who else? Anybody else? You guys are so brave. We are exposing the darkness. Come on, sweetie. You're so brave. Anybody else? That's me. Yeah, come on, Annette. You see, the devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. Come on up and love on these people. Everybody in the room, come on. Pastor Rick's going to lead a prayer. I want us to love everybody. Just come on, pack in here. The devil is a liar. Heavenly Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters to you this morning. We thank you that they feel comfortable just saying, I need, I need people, and I need more of you. I need more love from people, and I need more of you. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke the lie that's been spoken to them in their heart, and we rebuke the blinders that have been put on their life, that their life is meaningless. We rebuke the lie that has been spoken to them, that there is no hope and that they're at the end. They are not at the end. They are at a new beginning today in the name of Jesus. They are at a new beginning today. The road is no longer dark and you're no longer stuck in the name of the Lord. The road is bright. The road is big. And he is walking with you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, he is walking with you. The lights have been turned on. In the name of Jesus, the lights have been turned on. And the lie has been exposed, and now the truth has been exposed. In Jesus' name. And we speak life to each person. In the name of Jesus. And we say, you, Satan, you are off limits here. By the powerful name of Jesus, we bind you, we rebuke you, and we rebuke your lies. In the name of Jesus. For all of us here this morning, Lord, we thank you that every day of our night and our life was written in a book before it comes to pass. That you knew us and you formed us in our mother's womb and you have gifted us and you have called us to a life that is holy, that is uncommon, that has purpose. And we thank you for this, Father. We thank you for this, Father, in the name of Jesus. You have hope. You have hope. And you need to speak out loud your hope. Say, I have hope. Let's all say it together. I have hope. I have hope. In the name of Jesus. I'm not at the end of my road. Let's say this out loud. I am not at the end of my road. I'm at the beginning. It is paved. It is beautiful. And Jesus Christ walks with me. And I have hope in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.
in the name of Jesus. For those of you here this morning that have been battling even thoughts of suicide, just thoughts of, I just need to end it. I need, no one's going to care. No one's going to miss me. You have to make a stand and you have to make a stand. You have to rebuke those thoughts and you can't speak them out in your mouth. You need to let them go. You don't let them dwell inside your heart or in your head because they're lies. And God has a purpose for you and he has people for you to reach. And he has a life that he wants to fulfill in you.